0: Welcome to the Michigan Man Podcast on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's maze & Brew for Wolverine fans from coast to coast. Go Blue and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Happy New Year, everyone. Today, Michigan beat writer Nick Baumgartner from MLive joins me to talk Orange Bowl and take one final look back at our 10-3 and 3 season. Let's start the new year by reminding you of our program schedule, though. During the season, we came to you twice a week. Now that the season has ended, we're back on our schedule of one show a week through April. We'll also try to throw in a Michigan Man Extra each month with a guest in the news or someone you might find interesting. May through July, we'll revert to our summer schedule of two shows a month. So with that out of the way, it's time to jump into 2017, sort of. We begin the year by looking back or lamenting the football season that ended last Friday. Jim Harbaugh's second season had a bit of everything, filled with ups and downs. I've been hearing a variety of opinions from fans when it comes to how they feel about the season. I guess it depends if you're a glass-half-full or a glass-half-empty kind of personality. Many think the season was better than expected for Jim Harbaugh's second year, that we are ahead of schedule in making this team elite again. Others point to the way the season ended, with so many future NFL draft picks on our roster And yet we just could not find a way to win the close games at Iowa, down in Columbus, or Friday in the Orange Bowl. Perspective will come and change as we wait through these cold winter months, spring and summer, for the next season. I happen to fall in the glass half full crowd. I thought we would be better this year, and I think we were. We lost three games by a total of five points. Is that frustrating? It is indeed. But I think our best days are ahead. Nick Baumgartner is in the press box and behind the scenes talking to the players and the coaches all year. He has a much better take on the season that was, the future, and the pulse of Michigan football. He joins me next on our game day segment here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze & Brew. Here on our game day segment this week as we take a look back at the orange bowl and wrap up this season michigan beat writer nick Baumgartner gardner from m live happy new year nick hey, happy new year mike how are you i'm doing well sir and i'm sure you're glad to get out of that heat and back to michigan by now aren't you
1: yeah, get, yeah getting back to, uh, to a real winter i suppose right <laughs> getting, getting used to it again
0: well, Nick, we've had a few days now to uh, digest what we saw happen in the Orange Bowl on Friday night. And, you know, you can pin that loss in quite a few things when you break that game down. But first and foremost to me, it was that offensive line play. They simply got handled by that Florida State uh, defensive line, didn't they?
1: Yeah, completely. Uh, you know, that was certainly the best defensive front they'd played this season. But that also wasn't a new thing. You know what I mean? Like, uh, that, that wasn't a new problem. That, that, you know they lost three games by five points this year, uh, and all three of those losses, your offensive line did next to nothing. You know they they weren't protecting, they couldn't run the ball, and you know in this offense, when if you can't run the football in this offense, uh, you don't beat teams, you don't beat good people. I mean that's that's the reality of it. So you know you know Michigan's staff can only coach around so many things when, you know the backbone of your team is is running the ball, and and they couldn't do anything. I mean they couldn't they couldn't set up the pass, they couldn't. Uh, they couldn't do anything downfield. Uh, Wilderspay was getting hit almost every time he set into a pocket. So, you know, the offensive line is—it's funny to think about after all these years—but the offensive line is still somehow uh, the number one item on the t- on the to-do list of you have to fix that uh, if this thing's going to go anywhere forward. I really think that you know, with all the young talent they're bringing in, I, I like I like the direction of everything they're doing, but. That's still a problem, and that's still the thing they got to fix.
0: Well, watching Florida State's defense on tape, I know for everyone was one thing, but dealing with them in real time turned out to be a whole different deal. Uh, Speed—I don't think Michigan had seen the combination of that size and speed all season, Nick. They were impressive and relentless, weren't they?
1: Yeah, I mean Ohio State would have been—I guess—the closest thing to that. Um, And again, you know, in the fourth quarter against against Ohio State, they weren't able to do much either way. But Florida State was probably quicker uh, in most areas, especially up front. I mean, they were so fast. Uh at closing lanes you know there were, there were times in the in the second half where you know lanes looked like they were opening up a little bit and and they would shut down in in a split second. I was curious as to why Chris Evans didn't get more carries earlier in that game because it seemed like you know I kept thinking to myself you know that they're gonna have to have somebody with some kind of speed to get through one of these gaps because when there was a gap there, it's only open for about as half you know half as long as it would have been otherwise because Florida State was you know, really playing with a hair on fire. So uh, just sideline to sideline. I don't understand why they were trying to stretch them and get outside uh, around the corner with some of those stretch plays. That didn't seem to make any sense to me either. But, you know, Florida State, to their credit, you know, they really fixed their defense. Uh, this was not the same defense. that gave up 63 to Louisville. They've been playing much better at the end of the season. They were red hot. And, uh, you know, for Michigan, it was... It was right there at the end, but uh, just couldn't close it out.
0: Well, let's talk about Wilton Spade. He was pounded. He was hurried. He was out of sync much of the game, but he is a gamer. We we know that. He made some big throws in the fourth. Uh, moved in the pocket very well, I think, most of the game, just to avoid getting killed. And even ran for a big first down. Your overall take on his performance, Nick?
1: Yeah, the first half was 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 not good. I mean, that's he admitted that after the game. Uh, another thing I like about Wilton, he's never he's never one to not. Tell it like it is. I think he's always done a really admirable job of that. He admitted that after the game that he was, you know, kind of bailing out of the pocket with his with his front foot uh, against the rush. I think he was a little too worried about it. He said uh, in the first half, and that was the, you know that was forcing him to to miss some what looked like pretty pretty makeable throws. Uh, and then in the second half, I think he decided, you know what, I'm going to get hit anyway, so I might as well just stand in there. And it's a tough that's a tough decision to make and a tough thing to do for a quarterback is to just continue just. To plant that front foot right in the teeth of a rush and know you're going to get leveled. Uh, and, and he, you know, he started doing that in the, in the third quarter, started making some throws, and Michigan started moving the ball. And like you said, like his feet, he was moving around in the pocket. Got, he got sacked four times, and he probably ran out of at least four more. Uh, so if he was a stationary guy who couldn't move, that would, he'd have been looking at eight to eight, ten sacks allowed in that game. So I thought the way he closed the game uh, is sort of the reason why I like where he's at right now as a quarterback, I guess I, I I like what he did this year. Uh, He was much better than I thought he'd be. Uh, He's better now than he was at the beginning of the year. I really believe that. Uh, I think, like you said, he's a gamer. He he, he plays the full four quarters. He plays the full 60 minutes. There's obviously things he needs to improve on, but, you know, I think he's a capable leader. I think he's a guy that teams teammates like. Uh, He's a guy that they'll follow. And, you know, to, to be to play tough like that, into and, and to find a way to get through a game where they could not protect him to save anyone's life, and all of a sudden there you are up two points or whatever it was, or three points or whatever it was uh, in the final, you know, in the final minutes uh, before you left the kick return to have that all happen. I mean, Wilton Spate, I mean, shoot, he might have been the MVP of the Orange Bowl if if they had closed the game out. So, um, you know, I, 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 a rough first half, but I think he closed much better, uh, and I think you know what he was able to do. Still with a shoulder that's not 100%, what he was able to do toughness-wise spoke a lot about him, where he's at, and I think where he's going.
0: Well, after the game, uh, my question, Nick, was what could Michigan have done differently to attack that Florida State defense? And, you know, after watching the game another two times on Saturday, my conclusion was nothing. Michigan, got <laughs> do- they got dominated at the point of attack, and, and when that happens, and, and we just talked about this at the top, that offensive line, that affects everything, and your play calling, your game plan becomes useless if you cannot control that line of scrimmage.
1: Yeah, I mean, I thought about it in the middle of the game, and at first I caught myself thinking, you know, they're not adjusting too much here. Uh, and then I, I, I stood corrected because as time went on, it was like, well, I don't know what they're supposed to adjust to. I mean, there was there were times that they tried, you know, they tried to get vertical, and it just didn't work because it was if if he's back there for two and a half seconds. And you're trying to let a route develop, he's getting somebody, he's getting three guys on him, and he's either got a bailout or he's getting sacked. And, you know, I don't know what all you can do, you know, frankly. The only adjustment, and they ended up making it, was to get Evans in there and let him, you know, kind of squirt through some of those cracks a little bit quicker. And obviously it worked toward the end of the game. But, you know, other than that, I don't know what else, I don't know what else they were supposed to call. You know, I think that at some point, if you can't look at your offensive line that is, that is led by 350 seniors and say, we have to start moving the football and if they just don't respond, I don't know what you do. And that's, that's one of those situations where I'm sure they looked at that offensive line early in the game and said, like, let's go. we got to do this or, or we're cooked. And they just weren't able to do it. So, you know, I, I, can't, I can't crack on the staff too much for, for, for what they called because I don't know what you're supposed to call. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I just didn't know what, what else was supposed to work. I heard people say that they need to run some screens. I think you saw they tried a couple screens. They didn't work. I mean, none of it worked. And uh, because if you can't protect, then they, 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 then they know you can't run the football. And if you can't run the ball, then, you know, in this offense that requires balance, you're not doing anything. So, I mean, unless you've got Andrew Luck or Tom Brady back there, you're going to be in, you're going to be in a rough spot. So, uh, you know, again, I, I don't know what else they're supposed to do uh, other than kind of what they did, kind of coach around it as much as you can, get yourself in a position to win it, and they did that. But, you know, the last – kick return there kind of of sealed the deal
0: well that defense uh gave up some big plays nick some chunk plays but for long stretches of the game they i thought did a very good job especially controlling dalvin cook you can only control that guy so long he's a home run hitter uh but i thought they played i guess we can say
1: admirably yeah not their best but uh, like you said there was long stretches there where they got them back in the game uh they, they just had more more stretches where they were human i guess and then we'd seen at any point this year, you know, they never gave up big plays. Uh, and for a group to give up, you know, a 92-yard touchdown pass, uh, a long run, uh, a long another long pass to Delvin Cook, and a couple other chunk plays, from, you know, it really only boiled down to like five plays. I think Francois was 9 of, nine of 27. Mm-hmm. And you look at that number and you say 9 of 27, that must have been, you know, Michigan must have dominated him. But then he had 222 yards and two touchdowns. So you say, okay, well, geez, you know, those nine passes were a problem. and and one Delvin Cook run was a problem, and that was really it. So, um, yeah, overall, I thought they played well. I thought Taco Charlton uh, was was really, really good again. Maurice Hurst was really, really good again, although I would advise him to maybe hold off on the sack celebration until the ball is secured <laughs> on the ground. I think he missed a fumble there, he could have probably gotten. But, you know, it came down to just a handful of plays that cracked, and, and Florida State's got, a, got enough athletes to do it. I think Francois can throw a nice deep ball if you, if, if somebody gets behind somebody. So a couple of mis, miscommunications and a couple of lapses, but, you know, defense scored a touchdown, got plenty of pressure on the quarterback. You know, we able to create turnovers. So did everything they could. I think that, uh, they had them, they had them right there where they wanted them, but, uh, Again, at the end, it just, uh, just couldn't close it.
0: Yeah, we talked about the speed of the Florida State defense, but uh, on the offensive side with Cook, DeAndre Francois, and that receiving core, that seminal offense, even though they were contained so much to the game, the difference to me was they have home run hitters, speed guys all over the place at the skill positions.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that's, that, that's one of those things where sometimes that's, that, that ends up being the thing, and then other times if you're, if you're communicating properly, uh, you're doing your job, uh, as Jordan Lewis would tell you, that if, you know, obviously they were looking for safety help on that big, long throw, you know, but he said there were things he could have done to, to uh, you know, pen that in, and, and speed's only so good if it's not covered. And, and, of course, you know, in a couple instances there, it got open. But, yeah, I mean, that, that ultimately is a difference. Because if you think about it, though, Mike, if, if they don't have all that speed and they don't have all those home run hitters, they're not scoring at all. I mean, Michigan would have, would have probably just swallowed them right up. But, um, you know, that, yeah, that's, that's another thing, too, I guess you can point to, is that, you know, Michigan right now, if you flip the ball around, uh, they don't have guys like that. You know, they didn't have a guy like Galvin Cook who could turn a third and 22 into a 70 yard seventy-yard run. Uh, that just doesn't exist on Michigan's roster uh, in its current incarnation or current uh, situation. So, you know, maybe those guys are on the way or maybe those guys are on the roster right now, which just are still developing. But, um, you know, right now with this team, that team didn't have those type of guys. You know, your offense had to be balanced and they had to move the ball, um, you know, on the ground and, kind of go in chunks but uh but yeah I mean you know just one of those games it it, it was weird it felt like if Michigan could have closed it out they would have maybe stole one you know either way I just if you look at this season and you say it's five points five points away from from being undefeated but also at the same time there were there were reasons why you lost all the three games you did and, and and you know ways you can improve and get better and and fix for next season.
0: Well, you mentioned Jordan Lewis just a minute ago, Nick. Great player, All-American, great career at Michigan, but he had a rough night, didn't
1: he? Yeah, Jordan said that he thought that was the worst he's played, um, or maybe one of the worst. I mean, he you know, probably looked back when he was a true freshman, and maybe a couple times where he was out of position more maybe. But, you know, I thought he might have been too hard on himself. I mean, it was, it was one mistake. I mean, the, the big, long bomb uh, was not his fault. That was, you know, they were in a zone. He's supposed to have somebody over the top and the guy's not there. And what he was saying was, I could have done a better job of communicating, of course, and I could have rerouted that a little bit better, of course, and maybe slowed him up. But if your safety that's supposed to be over the top is going the opposite way, <laughs> and it's not going to roll into his window, uh, there's nothing you can do at that point. That's just a bust, and that's a touchdown going the other way. So that's, that wasn't his fault. The, the last touchdown pass that was completed over him, however, was one of those where I've seen Jordan Lewis knock that route down More times than than at any point I can remember, and that was just one where he said he got around, he turned around too quick, and and was just out of position, and it just was what it was. So, you know, he tipped his hat to the other quarterback and receiver and said that they, you know, they got him. But uh, yeah, I mean, probably not his best game, but not a disaster either. I I think that he was being too hard on himself, Um, and I think with Jordan, you know, know, I mean, the guy is just—I don't know if I don't know how many people really totally understand how good he was. Uh, he never got beat. I think that that's the thing. When, when, when we see him get beat, everyone, their eyes kind of wide open as say, hey, well, was that, was that Lewis or was somebody else in the game? Because it just never seemed to happen, especially over the last two years. I mean, his technique was always just almost perfect every time. So, you know, him having anything completed against him was kind of the exception to the rule. And so, when you see when you see one in the end zone go against him, everyone's well, and him himself included, that's always judging him. And he says, you know, I think I had a bad game. Well, I mean, wasn't a perfect game, but we'd, we'd gotten kind of used to seeing him play perfect games, I guess. And, uh, you know, a rough one there at the last, in the last seconds, of course. I'm sure he'd like to have back. But, I mean, Jordan was fabulous, fabulous football player for two years. Can't ask for anything better. And I'm sure he'll go on and have a nice, healthy, long career uh, in the NFL.
0: I would agree with that. With us here on our game day segment as we recap the Orange Bowl and the season is uh, Michigan beat writer Nick Baumgartner from M Live. Well, Nick, is, uh, as good as Jabril Peppers is, he can't cover the entire field, and I'm not crazy. I think we would have been, of course, much better on the defense if he had played, but not sure that would have really changed the outcome. How much do you think that impacted uh, Michigan's defensive scheme and game plan?
1: Oh, probably quite a bit. I mean, I think that you know, he's the guy that this is all built around. Uh... You know, he was the centerpiece of the whole the whole thing. I, you know, you hear so many people earlier in the year, you know, carry on about how they, they thought he was so overrated and his stats were nowhere near as good as they should have been and, and this, that, and the other. And then I, I always tell those people, you know, I mean, in some ways you may be right, but there's also situations where you have to think Michigan had the number one defense in the country for most all of the entire season. And it was built around real peppers. I mean, he was the guy that the whole thing was – sort of centered around, because he was their best athlete and their best player in space, and, and you know, you, you, look at, you look at Friday Night's game and you think, okay, well, they lost the game by one point. Jarrell Peppers is probably worth one point <laughs> on some level, right? I mean, I think he would have been able to do something, whether it be he runs into one of those bad punts and brings it back 20 yards and gets you in field position, maybe get another field goal, you know, instead of, you know, Jordan, who's, who hadn't returned a punt, and maybe his whole career was back there trying to have to deal with it. I think he was more worried about just catching the ball, which, of course, that makes sense, but I think it was a it was a factor. I think that it was a major factor. I mean, he's their he's their best athlete, and that's not close. I think some some would argue maybe he's not their best football player. I, I think you can make a certainly make a case he's their best football player. So to not have him in the game, uh, it probably limits what you do with that spot. And Josh Contellus came in and I thought he played very well, considering that that was his first start. But I, I doubt Don Brown was asking him to do all of the things completely that they would have asked peppers to do maybe in those situations so uh i think it was a major factor Uh, i think losing jake Butts to an injury early in the game really hurts especially in a situation like that where you need your sort of your safety valve when you're not getting anything going in the passing game yeah they had some problems to overcome in that one and and it just proved to be a little bit too much, and uh, and they go over the one-point loss.
0: And you just mentioned, Jake, but that was just uh, almost sickening to yeah. watch because you knew as soon as he went down, you could just tell by the body language he was hurt. From what I've seen, what I've read in the last day, it's ACL and the surgery coming up, right?
1: Yeah, that's what it sounds like to me. I mean, I haven't gotten anything, anything more than you've read. I'm sure that Michigan hasn't said anything official, but it certainly sounds like certain surgery's out of the way, which is just, But uh, like you said, it's it's hard to hard to grasp around that, especially in a game like that. It's a bowl game and, and they're fun and everybody wants to play them and everybody wants to watch them. But at the end of the day, they don't mean that much. They don't mean enough to they don't mean enough to have a guy have to have to blow his knee out and have to go through a what'll be a long process of rehab again. Uh, you know, he's gonna have to miss the combine, he's gonna have to miss the senior bowl. He's gonna cost himself a ton of money. And you know it's it's hard because he's he's a really good kid. He's a really good hard worker. He's he was a senior class award winner. Does everything right uh, stands up for what he believes in in terms of how the NCAA treats players. was just talking the other day. I mean, Jake Buck battled a terrible cold or flu or something the whole week, w- was down there anyway, practicing through it, and we talked to him on on uh, one of those nights earlier in the week, and, uh, and he said he was going to gut through it. He was going to play anyway, and, you know, it's tough. I mean, for a guy to come back in the senior year, the last game of his senior year, for crying out loud, I mean, he could have left last year and been second-round pick if he wanted to be. And now he's going to have to go through the whole thing. And he's going to – I know that he had an insurance policy, but at the same time, I mean, he's going to lose money. He's going to lose a lot of it. And that's not right. It's not fair. And he went through his whole career in the NCAA without without earning a dime. And I think that that's, that's something that's the second year now. And Jalen Smith at Notre Dame last year was, was higher rated than Jake Butt would have been. But, you know, it's the second year in a row where a guy that was going to be taken pretty high suffers a serious injury in a game that meant nothing. And and now has to miss uh, valuable time and is going to going to drop in the draft uh, and it's not right and uh, but you know it is is what it is you know that going into it I suppose so that's that's part of the deal and uh, I guess we'll see what happens and just hope that no one gets hurt in these games anymore I mean it's just terrible to see every time it happens but uh, I suppose that's football
0: just very difficult to watch uh, and as you said he's going to lose a lot. We just have to wish Jake the best. He's a hard worker. He's a good kid. He'll work through it. And uh, hopefully, as he said, good things will happen down the road. Backing up to uh, Jabril for just a moment, Nick. Should I stay mm-hmm. or should I go is going to be uh, the question he's asking himself in yeah. the next uh, days and weeks. Do you get a gut feel that he's going to pass up those millions to stay for one more year?
1: Um, I don't. But, you know, I mean, he said, I'll take him at his word, he said that he still hasn't decided. Um, and I think he said he was going to take up until the deadline, which is the 16th uh, of January to make up his mind. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I I don't, I don't, he hasn't said anything one or the other, really the whole month, uh, the month of December anyway. But, you know, I think that it'd be, I'll say this, it'd be awfully tough for him to come back and improve his stock. I mean, if he comes back, I mean, you see, you saw, like we saw the other day, what happened when, when he got an injury. And, and it was a legitimate injury. I mean, anyone who says it wasn't is just, uh, you know, making stuff up to make stuff up. A legitimate injury that keeps him out of a game and the entire country stops what it's doing and wonders why he's sitting out of a game. I mean, the level of scrutiny that this guy is under, if he came back, it would, it would ramp up to levels that I don't think any of us would even be prepared to, to handle. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I think it would be too much. I think it would be, it'd be too much to overcome. I mean, he, everything, would—would you come back, everything you do is looked at so much closer, and it's it's, breaking, it's broken down so much thinner than everything else. I just don't know what he has to gain by coming back, and, and if it were me, I would go, but uh, I suppose we'll see what he does. I know the degree is important to him, and uh, I'm not sure if he was on track to graduate in three years or not, but I suppose we'll see what he does. He's got a couple of weeks here to make up his mind, and then uh, and then on we'll go.
0: Well, before the season started, Nick, I think if you told fans, Michigan fans uh, we'd finish 10-3, and we'd beat the Spartans, and come within an inch of the playoffs. I think most of us would say, "Hey, we'll take it." But, you know, the expectations of course changed game by game, week by week during the season. So right now on January 2nd, would you say this season was a success because of the improvement we saw in the field?
1: I thought it was a missed opportunity. I think that's the best way I've come to describe it. I can't call it a failure, but at the same time, I don't think I would call it, you know, I don't think I would call it whatever we called last year. I think last year you'd say it was a success. I mean, they were able to Really over overperform the expectation that most people had for them in that first year, uh, and then this year, you know, I just looked around. I mean, I, I mean, shoot, I went I went out there for practice on Tuesday or whatever it was and looked around at all of these guys. You know, Michigan's going to have ten guys drafted. I mean, that's that's the reality of the situation. They're going to have a lot of draft picks in this draft. One of the best draft classes they will have had uh, in ten years, and I thought they were better than ten wins. I thought they were better, you know, at the end, I thought they were better, you know, a team that I wonder how they're leaving without any kind of trophy, you know, uh, to be frank. So uh, I don't think it was a step back. I don't think it was a failure. I don't think it was a nightmare or anything like that. Uh, Perspective says otherwise, but I do think it was certainly a missed opportunity and one that regardless of how this thing unfolds going forward, I mean, Jim Harbaugh can come back next year and go (coughs) 15-0 or something and win a national title, I think you still look back at this year and say, well, I think they could have, done, could have done something like that, too. So, missed opportunity, not a disaster, not a failure. The program, I think, is still absolutely trending in the right direction. They're recruiting their butts off. Uh, they've got a lot of young talent on this team right now. You just got to kind of go through the lumps and develop them. Um, I think Michigan did a, did a great job in the last few years of getting a lot of guys who looked like they were going nowhere in 2014 to overperform their talent level and become real players for them. So I think when you look at the way they develop players and you look at kind of the increased level of talent they're bringing in in the 2016 class and in 2017, yeah, you can only look at it and say that, that good things are ahead. But at the same time, uh, disappointment, I suppose, in some level uh in that it was, you know, a missed opportunity. You were 9-0 and and you had a chance to do the whole thing. So, and you, you come away with none of it. So that's, uh, that's one that'll sting. But I, as I wrote this morning, It'll sting, but it won't be the same type of desperate, rudderless, terrifying sting that you had in November and December of 2014 where you were going absolutely nowhere and you had no idea what you were going to do to fix it. I think this is the fact that we're talking about 10 wins being a missed opportunity just two years removed from that disaster, I think says a lot. I think it says a lot about where they're going and kind of where they're at.
0: Well, now we get about an eight or nine week break before spring football starts, and we don't know what next season holds, but we do know this: youth will be served. This is going to be a very young team come the fall of 2017, Nick.
1: Oh, totally. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the reality of the situation. It's going to be <clears throat> the youngest group, Jim Harbaugh, has been around in a long, long time. I would think if you think about that. I mean, back to his early days at Stanford, probably uh, you'd be thinking about all the young players that he had probably back then that he was trying to bring up and turn into what ended up being a really good really good football team there. But, you yeah, know, very young football team next year. Uh, they're going to have to rely on a lot of young guys with a lot of spots, a lot of talented guys, guys So I'm sure it will be better as time goes on. But it's going to be one, too where they're going to have to just, you know, kind of take some mistakes and, and try to coach around them. I mean, that's the, the best you can hope for sometimes with the youth. Push the right buttons, put them out there, let them learn, uh, and try to coach around whatever mistakes they make because there are going to be mistakes. Uh, that are made. You're not going to have the best defense in the country next year, but again, I think you're enough. You're talented enough to where you can have a pretty good one. So, and we'll see about the offensive line. So, so yeah, a young football team, but a lot of talent, a lot of potential, and uh, you know, you never know. You never know what happens. And we've seen young teams come up, come up and overperform before. And certainly, I think Michigan has a staff. To put that together and, and make it run at it again next year.
0: Well, before we uh, let you go, Nick, just a couple of playoff questions. Were you surprised how Clemson just manhandled Ohio State?
1: Yeah, stunned. I was shocked. Um, I don't know what to. I don't know what to say about it. I, I wondered. You know, geez, it was the Big Ten? You know, the Big Ten was so highly valued this year. Uh was it just a total ruse? I wondered if that was too too much. I wondered if it was just a bad day for Ohio State maybe a bad matchup. And then I wondered if more you know like how good were how good were they really uh, How good was everyone else really? I mean, it was really weird, but I think that yeah, they must have just been a bad day. I was shocked. I don't think everybody had ever been beat that bad uh, in any game, so shocking. uh I expect Alabama maybe to do that to somebody but not Clemson. That and that was stunning.
0: No, I thought uh, after the game, uh, Urban Meyer looked like he was in shock. He said, that will never happen yeah. again.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I mean, that's probably the best, best way you could say it, I suppose, at that
0: point. You know, I'll throw a little uh, love the way of the Buckeyes. Uh, I do think it was a bad day for them because I had been able to see uh, Clemson several times this year. They struggled with some really bad, yeah. mediocre teams. They did not right. roll this season, but they were just hitting on all cylinders. And, you know, it seemed like when you watched Ohio State this year, even when they struggled, it was like, if nothing's working, just let JT take off and do what he wants. Yeah. Even he couldn't get anything done, so that was...
1: Uh, well, they not... can't throw it either, and that's something they're going to have to fix because they were completely one-dimensional in that game, and that's that's not going to work against a team like Clemson.
0: So next Monday, uh, Bama and Clemson. Do you think Clemson yeah. has improved enough that they have a shot against Bama?
1: I mean, they played them to the wire last year, so I wouldn't say that... I would say I would expect them to kind of do the same, but, I, you know, Alabama is just... It's not fair. I mean, I watched them play play Washington, and I oh, thought Washington was playing hard. I thought they were in the game. They were focused. They were doing everything they could. And I thought there were times where Alabama looked like they were kind of like, eh. But they were still hammering them. I mean, it was still just this swarm on defense where you can't breathe. And then to have a guy in Bo Scarborough for seemingly the 19th straight year, Alabama has a running back who is three, 250 pounds, and is faster than everybody on the field. I don't know how that happens every year. I mean, it just doesn't seem fair, uh, frankly. And I think Clemson will give them a game, but I don't know how I would pick against Alabama at this point. Alabama looks like the best team in the country by a mile, and uh, I would expect them to win probably by double digits uh, in the title game.
0: Yeah, I don't think I've seen a defense in a long time, maybe, ever, Nick, that puts points up on the board like Bama's defense.
1: Yeah, like it's like they're, it's like, it's like they're running plays. It's like they're, it's like they're running, their own, running their own offense on defense. I mean, it happens every week, seems like, multiple times. It's crazy. I've never seen anything like it. Should be a good
0: game next Monday, so we'll see. Yeah. Well, hopefully uh, you get a chance to take a breath and get some downtime now that it's over until spring ball anyway. So uh, as always, thanks for taking time to join us. You're a great guest, Nick. And we're going to get you back on during spring practice and we'll talk about what's next for Michigan football. So as always, thanks for your time, Nick.
1: All right, Mike. Take care.
0: News and notes are next here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SV Nation's Maize & Brew. On news and notes today, the University of Michigan men's basketball team, 10-4 overall, 0-1 in the Big Ten, after losing the opener in overtime to Iowa on Sunday, will host Penn State in its Big Ten home opener on Wednesday, tomorrow night at Chrysler Center. Tip-off is scheduled for 8.36 p.m. with the game broadcast on BTN. Michigan will play the second half of a two-game home stretch, hosting Maryland on Saturday, at 3:15 p.m., that game will be on ESPN2 in the only regular season matchup between the two teams. Following the battle with the Terps, U of M will head to Champaign for a matchup with Illinois next Wednesday, January 11th, at 8 p.m. at the State Farm Center. That game will be on BTN. Then they'll be returning home to face Nebraska on Saturday, January 14th, at 2 p.m. also on BTN. Sophomore Hallie Tome turned in a 37.14 rebound performance as the University of Michigan's women's basketball team took the lead in the second quarter and never looked back in a 73-56 win over Wisconsin on Sunday afternoon inside the Kohl Center. Tome was 13-for-15 from the floor and 11-for-13 from the free throw line, totaling a career-best 37 points in 29 minutes of action. Freshman Kizray Gondrasic joined home in double figures, scoring 16 points with five boards. Junior Caitlin Flaherty chipped in eight points, with senior Sierra Thompson going for three points and five assists. Michigan held a 43 to 31 advantage on the boards and scored 15 second chance points in the game. Michigan is 13 and two overall, two and zero in the Big Ten, and will be back in action on Saturday at Ohio State. The opening tip is scheduled for 12 noon. Michigan hockey claimed third place in the 52nd annual Great Lakes Invitational with a 5-4 overtime win over Michigan State on Friday evening at the Joe Lewis Arena. Junior forward Tony Calderon's goal off a rebound at 2:58 of overtime sealed the victory for the Wolverines. Michigan will be back in action on Friday when they travel to Minnesota in a rematch of last season's Big Ten Tournament Championship. They are 8-9-1 heading into this weekend's action. Our free show app is available from the iTunes and Google Play stores and you can also hear us on iHeartRadio. Like us on Facebook at The Michigan Man and follow us on Twitter also at The Michigan Man. It's going to be a busy winter in the Michigan athletic scene with so much to talk about. Basketball and hockey will of course be in the forefront with football recruiting also in the news. Next week we hope to have basketball beat writer Brendan Quinn from M Live with us, so please join us for that. That will do it for our first show of the new year, one we hope is filled with Big Ten championships and success for all of our teams. Make sure you join us each week for what we think is the best podcast coverage of your Wolverines. Have a great Wolverine week, everyone. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Take care, and as always, Go blue.